Good morning, church family. My name is Rob. I am a pastor here, and it is good to see you this morning, second Sunday of Advent. Something to know about the Yancey family is we are um, Bernese Mountain Dog people. Bernese Mountain Dogs are these big dogs. We had two of them. Uh, our first one was named Bear. He's a great dog. second one we have now is named Grizzly. Verdict is still out, but he's a pretty good dog. Um, and <clears throat> the reason I share this random fact with you is that our passage this morning zeroes in on protection and security. And let me chat with the kids now. If you're here this morning and maybe you're fourth grade or under, I don't know, preschooler, first grader, if you come over to the Yancey house, all right, and uh, most of you kids, if you come in the front door of our house and you see Grizzly at the top of the steps waiting for you, and then you see him start coming down the steps, all of you are going to do the same thing. I've seen it over and over again. You know what you're going to do? You are going to start inching closer and closer to your parents when you see our dog. And then before you know it, you are going to be grabbing the leg of one of your parents for protection and for security. And um, friends, we don't grow out of looking for protection and security. We probably grow out of grabbing our parents' legs because at some point it becomes awkward. But um, regardless of what age you are, you run somewhere for protection and security. When you face a threat, when you've got a battle in front of you, you run somewhere. It's not if you're going to go somewhere for protection and security, it's where are you going to go? What are you going to run to? Who are you going to run to? And this Advent season, this Advent season points us to where we find true security where we find true protection. These candles here before you, they point us to where we find true protection and security. So for our Advent season, we've pressed pause on our Mark sermon series, all right? Remember, last Sunday morning, we were at Mark chapter 8, central message of Mark, kind of this dramatic moment where Jesus says to his disciples, all right, guys, uh, I know what the word on the street is about what people are saying about my identity, but but who do you say I am? And for our Advent series, what we're doing is looking at how the prophet Isaiah answers that question some 700 years earlier. When he's speaking of the one to come, how does Isaiah answer that question, who do you say that I am? So if you have your Bibles or on your phones, open up to Isaiah chapter 9. We are going to read verses 1 through 7. Uh, our, our series <clears throat> is really going to key in on verse 6, but for context, we'll read verses 1 through 7. This is God's Word. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult, 
and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the word of the Lord. Pray with me. Mighty and merciful Father, by your spirit, speak to us through your word this morning. We know full well that the grass withers and the flower fades, but your word, it stands forever. And so we pray this morning we would see your Son and your Savior, our Savior, Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. All right, our Advent series is called Welcome the King. And the series actually kicked off last Sunday night in our Advent communion service. And since some of you weren't there, and since surely we probably have some visitors this morning, I need to do something like previously on Welcome the King. We talked about a few points to orient us towards both Advent and the book of Isaiah. All right, so this Advent season, four weeks leading up to Christmas, historically the church has had a twin focus in this season. Advent speaks to the arrival or the coming of Jesus but both arrivals, right? His first arrival in the incarnation, but also in this season, the church remembers and looks to his, his second arrival or his return. And so that's this twin focus of Advent. And if we're going to be stepping into Isaiah in this sermon series, it's probably helpful if we have a, a crash course on the context of Isaiah. All right, we just make sure we know what's going on in the book. And here's, here's the situation. Book of Isaiah. All right, the kingdom of Israel is actually in decline. All right, they, 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 they are a diminished people when Isaiah is writing. They're actually living in fear of this kingdom to the north of them called Assyria. All right, the book of Isaiah is a book about trust and hope, both misplaced trust and hope and rightly placed trust and hope. All right, so the, the people of God are living in fear of this kingdom to the north, this kingdom called Assyria, and instead of letting that fear drive them to cling to God and hope in God, they actually turn to, they turn to other kings, right? Like they turn to the king of Egypt down to the southwest, and they look for help from him. They, they turn to the east to the king of Babylon and look for help from him. They actually t- turn to the king of Assyria and try to work out some treaties and deal with him They turn to all the wrong places looking for security and for protection. And not only do they turn to other kings, but they turn to other gods. Again and again, Isaiah talks about uh, God's people worshiping idols, little statues that they they trust and hope in, Uh, spiritual mediums, necromancers. They're turning to all the wrong places for security and for protection. There's an enemy to the north that they are living in fear of. But it's not all doom and gloom. Isaiah also speaks of better days to come, a a hope for the future. And that's what we see in some of verses 1 through 5 in our passage, right? It's not all um, 
darkness and decline. Ultimately, Isaiah says, there are better days coming. He says, actually, a great light will come and it will shine into the darkness. Our joy will increase like when the harvest comes. Hey, everyone knows it's better when the food arrives, all right? There's gonna be joy like when the harvest comes or like when the battle is won. I love this image in verse five. It talks about, uh, and you might like, be like, what's up with that? These, um, the, the battle garments and the battle gear are rolled up and they're thrown into the fire. Why? Because the victory is so great, they are not needed anymore. Isaiah is pointing to this greater day, this time of hope, and what's going to bring this about? Verse 6, the verse in our series that we're focusing on, for, us, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The light and the joy and the victory come by way of this son. And it's probably a good point. Uh, I reminded them on Sunday night at the Advent communion service that there's this this pattern in the prophets. And if you have our Advent uh, devotional, uh, Matt highlighted it. I'll hold it up once more. Great tool for us. Um, If you read the intro of that devotional, you'll see that Randy Newman um, talks about this pattern in the prophets. And that they see their short-term settings and surroundings as foreshadowing for long-term events and realities, all right? And Randy has this illustration that I'm forever going to steal from him. He says the prophets almost use these spiritual trifocals, all right? Kind of these three lenses. In the first lens, they're looking through and they're seeing their immediate context. What's going on? Assyria to the north. Just what's, what's going on in their immediate surroundings? They'll use another lens to say like, okay... These events are pointing to something in the future. They're foreshadowing events in the future. And then through this third lens, they're looking at eternal reality. So hopefully that helps you understand the prophets and even understand what's being talked about here in Isaiah. The book of Isaiah, enemies to the north and battles ahead of them. I would imagine on this Sunday morning in Fairfax in 2020, None of you are worried about enemies to the north, all right? Like, we're not worried about Canadians coming down and running over us, right? Like with Tim Hortons and maple syrup. Like, we're, it's not a threat to us. But I would imagine that we all have enemies in our life. We all have battles that we are facing, whether it be with cancer, whether it be with depression and anxiety, whether our battles be with just the insecurities that come on us When we walk into school, or unfortunately, even when we walk into church, and whether you're aware of it or not, when you walked in here, all of us have an enemy of our soul, and all of us have a battle with brokenness that is going on. Our series is looking at these four exalted titles that Isaiah speaks of in verse 6. Last Sunday, we looked at Wonderful Counselor. This Sunday, we're looking at Mighty God. Where we find true protection, where we find true security is in this Mighty God. So we're going to just look at these two questions. What what does mighty mean here? We're going to look at what mighty means and what this mighty God does. Two things, what mighty means and what this mighty God does. If we want to know something about what mighty means, we need to know that mighty speaks to power and it speaks to purpose. 
Mighty speaks to power, and often in the scriptures when um, they want to communicate God's power, they point us to creation, right? 16th century uh, French theologian, pastor, John Calvin, he actually says creation. He says the world is the theater of God's glory. Like if we just want to look at creation, we see something of God's might and of God's power. And the scriptures often give us this thought exercise to do. They tell us to actually go, upside, go outside and, and look up. Consider the heavens. Look at the skies. Consider the stars. Like that's an exercise we're told to do again and again. Why? Because as humans, we, we are challenged when it comes to perspective. Like perspective is not something we're, we're, we're great with. We're challenged because we have this unhelpful tendency to put ourselves at the center of the universe. And a helpful remedy for that is to simply go out and look up at the stars. It's not all that easy to do in Northern Virginia these days. It's a lot easier to do where I come from. But all of us now have the assistance not only of the Hubble telescope, right? But now we've got the James Webb telescope that can help us out and see something of the stars. And friends, it's hard to wrap our heads around this. But I'll throw some numbers at you. Galaxies, how many galaxies can the James Webb Telescope help us see? I can't comprehend this. Trillions. All right, there are trillions with a T galaxies. All right? You, you can't wrap your head around that. How many stars are in each one of these galaxies? Billions. Billions with a B. That's how expansive the universe is. And if you just wanted to pick one star, all right, star named Betelgeuse, maybe you've heard of it. All right, this one star in one galaxy is massive. Our sun's pretty big. This, this star is 764 times bigger than our sun. You want to know how many Earths you can fit inside Betelgeuse? One quadrillion. I don't even know what that is. All right, but that's a lot. I know it's a lot. Why this astronomy lesson? Because in Job chapter 38, when Job's lost some perspective, you know what God does? He says, Job, for a second, why don't you go out and look at the sky? Consider the constellations. Maybe have a look at Orion. Turns out Betelgeuse is in the constellation Orion. Maybe look there. You know what, Job? I led all of those stars there. Rob, you think you're powerful? Like, Rob, you, you, you think you're the center of the universe? Like, you can't even lead your dog on a leash half the time. <laughs> Isaiah 40 tells us that God created all of the stars, and he calls them out by name. Why in the world would God's people turn to an earthly king or an earthly president for protection and security? Why in the world would I look to my paltry bank accounts or our strengths and successes trying to find security and protection? There is a mighty God. His power stands ready to help. So it talks about power, but it also, it talks about purpose. All right, it has these military overtones to it, right? Mighty speaks to... Um, a knight in shining armor, a great hero. It's... It, um, 
Think about uh, Joshua's mighty men of valor. Think about David's mighty men. There's one of them named Beniah, and I remember a good friend of mine named his son Beniah after David's mighty men. These mighty men for Joshua and David, what do they do? They're warriors that fight alongside of them. That's what a mighty man is. A mighty God is a God that comes to fight for his people. You guys remember the assurance of pardon from last week? I'm sure you all do. I won't make you raise your hand. Uh, But it comes from Zephaniah chapter 3. And I said, this is actually one of my favorite portions of Scripture. And and normally I think of it because the the verse uh, that comes to mind is, uh, it's Zephaniah 3, and it's verse, hold on, let me get there. Verse 14, thank you, for the help, but it, uh, well, actually, verse, I'm going to go with verse 17. We started in verse 14, so if you're getting a technical correct answer, that was technically correct. We end around verse 17, and it, it ends with God singing over his people, exulting and singing over his people, but it begins with these words right here. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. I just want you to see this morning, friends, mighty means that your God has the power and the desire to come and fight for you, to fight for his people in the presence of very real enemies and very real battles, be it darkness or struggles with health, struggles in relationships. That's what mighty means. So what does a mighty God do? We've looked at what mighty means. Let's look at what a mighty God does. The first thing a mighty God does is arrive in a manger. Guys, I don't know if you, like, all that we just said about mighty, I don't know that you're, like, you're going to think, oh, mighty and manger, those two things go together, right? Like, power and pampers, like, those two things go together. That, that doesn't normally go with the way we think about might and about power. But the message of Christianity is that our mighty God fights for us by becoming like us. Our mighty God fights for us by coming like us. St. Augustine wrote in the third uh, or the fourth and fifth centuries. Um, <clears throat> Google St. Augustine on the incarnation. He's got a great message on it. I'm just going to quote um, from a little bit of it. This is what he says when he's talking about this mighty God who came as a baby in a manger. He says this, the word of the father by whom all time was created was made flesh and was born in time for us. Speaking about Jesus as a baby, he says, He without whose divine permission no day completes its course, wished to have one day set aside for his human birth. In the bosom of his father, he existed before all the cycles of ages, born of an earthly mother. He entered upon the course of the years on this day. And hear this. The maker of man became a man ruler of the stars, that he might be nourished at his mother's breast. The message of Christianity is that God fights for us by becoming like us so that we can know him and so that he can know us. Christianity teaches that our Savior King came and and he knows our battles, the battles you face here on earth, the battles with a, a frail flesh, physical challenges, the battles of relational brokenness. Our Savior and King knows what it's like to be betrayed. 
He knows what it's like to be lonely. He knows what it's like to be lied about. And so when you face those battles, you have a Savior with you that knows what those battles are like. Our Savior and King, the mighty God, this is what he does. He arrives in the manger, and then he goes to the cross. Right? He fights for us by taking our defeat and giving us his victory. Because plot twist, here's the reality. We do become enemies. Um, Litson quoted Lewis earlier that Advent reminds us that we are rebels who lay down arms. Right? This mighty God who has created the universe, at some point we decided not to follow him. At some point we decided to go our own way. We made ourselves enemies. And what Jesus did was come and live the life we should have lived and died the death we deserve to die. Um, no one wins against God. So we were doomed to defeat. But this table reminds us that Christ gave his body to be broken and his blood to be shed, taking our defeat and giving us his victory. That's what our mighty God does. He arrives in the manger, he goes to the cross, and then he promises that he will return again. Here's the hard reality that's difficult for some of us to wrestle with, and some of us have wrestled with it this year. God doesn't promise that you are going to win every earthly battle. God's people lose earthly battles. Parents lose ch children too young. Cancer wins its earthly battle sometimes. Sometimes relationships are not restored. You can't read the scriptures and think that every earthly battle is won. It doesn't promise that. But what it does promise is that no earthly defeat is final. Because our king has promised to return. Our table reminds us of that as well. It points us not just to a body broken and blood shed, but it points us to a feast that we will enjoy one day where there will be sin no more, where every wrong will be made right, and where darkness will be made light because our mighty God will return. The son, the child, will return. So... These weeks are hard weeks for many of us. Though there are lights on our houses and on our trees, it can be a dark time. Where, where are we going to run for security? Where are we going to turn to? Where are we, where are we going to cling? What are we going to cling to for protection? Let me encourage you go to your mighty God, run to Christ. And where are we going to invite others to? Hey, alert. No other time in the year is it more normal and more appropriate to invite your neighbor to church. All right? These next three weeks, it's, hey, here's how you do it. Elementary lesson. Hey, we're just reaching out to some of our neighbors. We don't know what you do around the holidays. We just like to invite all of our neighbors to our church service. We'd love for you to go. Guess what? You do that. No one's going to punch you in the face. I promise it. No one's going to call you a name. If you do, come tell me. I will stand up here on a Sunday morning and say I was wrong. Stephen got punched in the face, all right? Not that, I'm sorry. You're not going to get punched in the face. Um, 
if we believe that this is who our God is, if we believe this is his power, if we believe this is his purpose, if we believe this is how he's loved us, why would we not want our neighbors, our coworkers, our classmates, our basketball team members, our swim team members, and just say, hey, do you have somewhere? Well, what are y'all doing for the holidays? We're just inviting a bunch of our friends to come to church with us. Why would we not do that? This season reminds us um, that at the heart of the mis- uh, Christianity is a message about a cradle and a cross and a crown. That's where we find security. That's where we find protection. As we come to this table, we remember that reality. Pray with me. <clears throat> Father, we thank you for your word, <laughs> and we pray that you would meet with us now as we come to this table. I pray this morning for those who might not know you, that you would reveal yourself to them. I pray for those of us, it might be hard to know and trust that you are a mighty God, that you will fight for us, that you will be mighty for us, that on this morning you would impress that reality on their souls. We thank you for Christ, for the son you've given us, for the child who was born to us. We thank you for all that we have in him. It's in his name we pray. Amen.